Praise God. Praise the name of Jesus. Thank God. Thank God for the cross. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Well, let me get right to it this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, I would like you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll get there in just a few minutes. And uh, if you don't have a Bible or a means to look at that, we'll have uh, the passages up on the screen. And, uh, but as I mentioned, today is Easter Sunday. Today is Resurrection Sunday. And it is, in fact, I want to just point out for all of you maybe somewhat unfamiliar with the, the vital importance of this particular day and this particular event. If you do not have a resurrection, you do not have Christianity. I need you to understand that. You can take all the teachings that are found in the Bible, and if this one event, historical event, did not happen, you have nothing. I realize that may be a shock to the religious mindset, but nonetheless, you say, well, pastor, you, you really are bordering on heresy. No, I'm not. I'm actually telling you what Paul the Apostle indicated. I want you for a moment just to imagine one of your favorite times of year. And, and for many, it's Christmas. When you think about Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Certainly the birth of Jesus is that moment in which we, we have so much joy. There's so many lights. There's so many wonderful things. And yet on that very, very first Christmas, very few responded to the birth of Jesus. Now we know the shepherds saw angels. They saw choirs of angels singing, glorifying God. We understand that. But when it all comes down to it, very few on that first day celebrated the birth of Jesus. You fast forward a number of years and his ministry, his ministry certainly demanded a response. In fact, it elicited a response from most of the religious leaders of that particular day because much of what Jesus said rocked the very foundations of their established legalistic kind of approach to religion. Jesus was uncompromising in his approach, but he was not in any sense legalistic. You think about the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Instead of condemning her, he taught the idea and the concept of forgiveness of sins and the power and the importance of looking into one's own heart before you point a finger at somebody else. You think about all the miracles that he performed. Certainly, the Bible says that many people followed after him because of the miracles that they had seen. Some followed after him because, in fact, on one occasion, one of the miracles was that he would divide just a few loaves and few fishes and feed thousands of people on that. And because of that miracle, they said, we got to go after that guy. I mean, not only do you get free lunch, but look at how he did it. I mean, that's amazing at what he was able to do. Certainly, we look at that and we, we would think, well, that if I were there, I would certainly respond to that. But what if this one, this one who was heralded by angels that came into the world, and this one individual who performed mighty miracles, in fact, one of the miracles being that he would raise someone on different occasions, different people, raise them from 
the dead. What if that person, the person who had done all of those things, were to die himself? What would happen? What kind of a response? Well, I'll tell you the kind of response that was had on that particular day. We know that when Jesus was betrayed, many of his disciples scattered. We know that as he was hanging on the cross, there were few, if any, of his disciples other than the apostle John that would be standing at the foot of the cross watching as he would finally in that last moment before he would give up his last breath say the words, it is finished. And as he said those words, he would breathe his last. All of the things that he had said, all of the wonders that he had performed, when he said the words, I am the resurrection and the life, how could it possibly be that this particular one is now dead on a cross? We look at that and we somehow think, well, I can't even begin to imagine how that might have felt. The response certainly was one of hopelessness. After they had put so much hope in him while he was alive, if you leave Christianity right there at the cross, and many, many people would like to just sort of somehow always look at that crucified Christ. I want to tell you, it's not the crucified Christ that makes all the difference because if he stayed on the cross and he stayed in the tomb, we have absolutely nothing to stand on. But because he came out of the tomb, we have everything to be able to stand on. If you leave it there, you might think, well, <clears throat> you know, people die every day. He happened to be a good man who was crucified wrongly. But we hear the stories today of men and women spending years in prison over crimes they did not commit. Even death row has individuals awaiting a death sentence on their lives over something that they did not do. Jesus was sentenced to death over something he did not do. But more than that, it goes even deeper. He did not deserve anything related to both the death because of capital crime or death because of sin because he was absolutely sinless. But I want you to know that the story does not end at that particular moment. You see, the bottom line is this. As we know, the end or the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say it on the radio, we know the rest of the story Jesus did not stay in the tomb. He came out of the grave and he defeated the enemy of our soul and that is death. If nothing else about Jesus would demand much of a response, the single fact, this singular moment in history demands that you and I do something with it, that we do something about it. The fact is that if the resurrection is true and according to the scripture it is, I want to tell you that that one event demands and elicits a response from all of us. <clears throat> the miracles that Jesus did certainly now demand a response. If he came out of the tomb, the birth, the virgin birth of this one coming into the world demands a response from us. This one who would speak so many wonderful things and yet also challenging things as he was going throughout his ministry during his earthly 
time here in this world, it demands a response from each and every one of us. But I want to tell you, there are three groups of people that need to respond to the resurrection. And this morning, I want to just deal with those three groups of people in succession, if I could. First of all, I want to talk to the skeptic. Some of you might say, well, you know what? I've been in and out of church all my life. In fact, some of you might have been to church from the time you were born. You were brought to church like I was. Brought to church, and yet there were many times that I could look and I, I could understand throughout my life that I was and had been a skeptic. Skeptics are not bad people, by the way. In fact, they are simply people with a lot of questions. But when you become a skeptic so as to ignore the evidence in front of you, then you become somebody who simply refuses to believe. I don't want anybody in that category this morning. I don't want anybody in this building to be in the category of someone who will refuse to believe. Because if you refuse to believe the evidence that is in front of you, and I'm only going to give you two pieces, the last one, in my opinion, is the best. <clears throat> this last piece of evidence we'll see in just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to read verses 3 through 8. The Bible says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. There are historical facts about the resurrection that you and I have to deal with. And if you're a little bit of a doubter, maybe it is that you've come in today and you're like, I'm not so sure about this. And this whole Christianity thing, you know, it gets embroiled in so much trouble and, and so much controversy. And we see so many pastors and leaders and <clears throat> individuals who somehow just, you know, they, they don't seem to live according to this this book and somewhere along the way they make mistakes and it's made public and it's a shame and all of those things. I want you to set those things aside today and I want to first of all say that's not Jesus. Second of all, I want to say there's still facts about the resurrection that you and I have to deal with. The first one is this. It is the fact that there was a stone that was rolled away. And there is today an empty tomb in just outside of Jerusalem. That stone, in fact, we're not going to take time to read the scriptures, but I just want to point out the fact that the stone would have been one to one and a half tons of weight. That is about two to 3,000 pounds, maybe even bordering at 4,000 pounds at two tons. Mark chapter 16 uses a Greek word to describe the position of the stone after the resurrection, which meant to roll something up an incline. So in other words, that stone, when it was rolled into place, went downhill. After it was repositioned by a big old angel who was strong enough to take care of it, it was rolled up 
and incline. John chapter 20 uses a different Greek word which intensifies this event. It actually meant to pick something up and to carry it away. So the stone seemingly was a great distance from the opening. So in other words, who was strong enough to do that? The only one who could have handled that would have been God himself through those angels on that particular day. But let's set aside the stone for a second. There is another problem that the skeptics have to deal with. And if you're in that doubter class, if you are in that that particular place where you're just like, I'm just not so sure about this. The one thing that we often look for in, in our lives, in daily life, and in our courts is this. We look for eyewitnesses. The Bible indicates this. In, I read the scripture and read the passages. Let me just get back there. The Bible deals with this. Paul says these words. He says this, that he was raised to life on the third day according to the scriptures and appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, listen to this, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And Paul says, most of whom are still living. If you want to lie about something, don't lie about it when people are alive and can tell the truth. Paul is saying that. He's saying, look, if you don't believe me, go ask them. Haven't we all done that? You don't believe me. You go ask. You go ask my mother. I'm telling the truth. You go. You go. Go ahead. We're inviting people to know the truth. Paul is saying the same thing. He says that over 500 people had seen Jesus alive. It is important to note that when studying an event in history, you have to investigate whether enough people who were participants or eyewitnesses were alive when the facts about the event were published. And here's the deal. There are those who would like to say, well, no, the New Testament was written written much later, except for the fact that No, it wasn't. Paul is simply stating here a a simple fact, a simple truth, a basic truth. He says over 500 people saw him alive at one time, and guess what? Many of them are still alive. I'm publishing this. I'm putting it in writing, and here's the deal. You can go check the facts. You can go look at it. Paul said most of whom they're still living at this moment. If you were to give all 500 people six minutes each to testify in court, you would have 50 hours of eyewitness testimony. If you want eyewitness testimony to sink somebody and put them away forever, you don't need 50 hours. You probably don't even need two hours to put that person away. All you need are eyewitnesses to stand up, two or three, maybe four, and give their testimony And that testimony is going to seal the deal. Paul is saying this. You have so many witnesses here. How could you even possibly be a skeptic as to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How could you possibly be a skeptic for that particular event that took place? That would be the most lopsided trial in history. Peter and the 11 apostles, the Bible says, saw Jesus many times after he was resurrected. And the Bible says that they stood there and watched him 
being taken up into heaven. Think of that for a minute. Not only did they see him on the shore of Galilee, and there Jesus was preparing some, some fish and some food for them, and he was, he was there, and, and he, was, they, he appeared in a room, and he said, go ahead, Thomas, touch my side. Touch the nail prints in my hands and see. He was there. He appeared to them. Paul says, James, the Lord's brother, same guy that we have the book of James under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from. However, it should be noted that James didn't actually become a believer in Jesus until his Savior rose from the dead. The resurrected Christ, think of this, not even his own family, many of his own family believed in him when he was doing miracles, calling people out of the tomb, and even dying on the cross. It was the resurrection that made a difference for them. It was that moment when they saw him alive after seeing him die on the cross and be put into a tomb that changed everything. And the Bible also mentions Mary Magdalene and the other women. For the skeptic, the facts in history demand a response from you. But his resurrection also demands a response from the believer. Jump down to verse 17 through 20. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 20. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, here's what Paul says. We are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Think about the implications of your faith if there is no resurrection. You see, Paul was writing this to the Corinthians because there were people who were going around and saying about the resurrection that they was no resurrection of the dead. And Paul is saying, logically speaking, if in fact there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Jesus has been raised from the dead. If this whole concept of a resurrection does not exist, in fact, there was an entire group within the religious establishment of the day called the Sadducees who did not believe in a resurrection. And yes, you know I'm going for a corny joke on this. And that is why they were sad, you see. <laughs> Sorry, I, couldn't, I could not resist. They were sad because you don't believe in a resurrection. What hope do you have? What do you really have? So think about this. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17. Your faith is actually futile. You're still in your sins. So your faith is empty. The idea here is that it's profitless, it's empty, and it's pointless. If there is no resurrection of the dead, guess what? It's pointless to even be here this morning if it didn't happen. Not only that, Paul says, here's something worse. Because sin still exists, we know that it does, we've seen its impact, we've seen its effect, in fact... Death entered the world because of sin. Paul says later on in the same passage of scripture that death is the last enemy to be defeated. Trust me, we all feel it. We feel that that enemy has not yet been defeated, but it will be defeated because 
there is a resurrection of the dead. But he says this, if there's no resurrection, guess what? You're still in your sins. You can go to church all you want. You can raise your hands. You can run to the altar, repent of your sins. But, but Paul says, if the resurrection didn't happen, if there is no resurrection, guess what? You're still a sinner. Listen, I know we all like to say we're all sinners saved by grace. But you know what the bottom line is? I, I believe with all my heart the Bible is also true when it tells us that we are saints. No, you don't have to be venerated by, you know, a body of, of cardinals and all of that to become a saint. No, no. If you serve Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you serve him with all your heart, then you are a saint. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Saint does not mean perfect, by the way. It just means that you have been bought by the blood of Jesus and you believe in his resurrection. But Paul says there is a negative implication if there is no resurrection, and that is you're still in your sin. Not only that, guess what? You're to be pitied. You're the most miserable. He says that in verse 19. He says, it is, if, it is, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people, we are of all people to be most pitied. I want to tell you that that is absolutely true. If only in this life you have hope in Christ. And I look, the Bible says that we need to have life and have it more abundantly. But if you only have hope in this life, then in the end, not even the words that are spoken in John 3.16 can be true. And that is, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Not even that can happen if, in fact, there is no resurrection. You see, everything rises and falls on the resurrection. If you, if you don't believe in a resurrection, this is the one thing the enemy wants to make you doubt and to somehow come along and say, you sure about this? You sure about this? You see the finality? of death. You see it. I stood in front of my brother's coffin not more than two weeks ago and had to say my farewells. But I want to tell you that my brother preached the gospel and he loved the Lord and he, he served God with all of his heart. And I know we both believe this passage to be true, that there is a resurrection of the dead and somewhere on the shores of glory, you can have hope in knowing you will see your loved one once again. Don't doubt it for a second and don't let the world rob you. Don't let it rob you of that, that faith and that belief. It's not just in this life. So often we try to use God in our moments of difficulty to somehow just let me escape this moment. But we're not interested in serving him for the long haul. Listen, you got to be in it for the long haul. you got to be in it because there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. But on the flip side, let's go to the positive side of the coin, shall we? Think about the implications of your faith with the resurrection being true. Paul says in verse 20, but Christ has, he states it with absolute certainty, has indeed been raised from the dead. His own proclamation about the resurrection is true and not false. He spoke about his own resurrection before it ever took place. 
He hadn't, he, if he hadn't been risen from the dead, you could somehow discount everything else he ever said and move on to something else. Jesus proclaimed to his disciples, in fact, over and over again, Son of Man has to go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of the religious leaders, die on the cross, and rise again on the third day. He said that multiple times. And do you know that even while he was dying on the cross, they didn't remember it? The Bible says, I believe it's Luke who records it for us, that, that it was after the resurrection that then they remembered what he had said. Think about that for a minute. I want to tell you that his proclamation, the resurrection, demands an obedient response for everything that Jesus has taught. His claim that he will never leave you or forsake you. Guess what? It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. You can bank on it. You can take it to the bank and you can say, yes, I know that he will never, ever leave me. He will never forsake me. He will not abandon you. He will not give you up. He will never do that because he came out of the tomb. And that claim that he says, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you, you can hope in. Not only that, the Bible indicates that we are declared righteous because of his resurrection. Think about this for a minute. He went to the cross for your sins. In fact, let me read it. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. It says, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justifications. For our justification, if he did not come out of the tomb, then we are not justified before God. There is no possible way for that to ever happen without a resurrection. Not only that, he lives to intercede for you. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because, listen, he always lives to intercede for them. Isn't that a wonderful picture? You mess up. How many times do we mess up? Think about it for a minute. There isn't anybody here today that can say, ah, never. I don't ever mess up. No, you do. We all do. And as we mess up, there is somebody there at the right hand of the throne of God saying, I died for them. I hope, my hope, the hope that I give to them is found only in me. It's through my blood. And he's interceding for us. And he is standing there helping us every step of the way. I want to tell you that because Jesus is alive, you have hope today. Don't ignore the resurrection. Don't push it aside as a nothing. It is everything. And it will make the difference in your life. You say, I'm going after this. I'm going after that thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. But I want to tell you, it will leave you empty and dry at every moment until you come to the well that will fill your soul, the living Christ. And it's only ever going to be found through him. His resurrection demands a response from the skeptics, demands a response from the saints. And guess what? It demands a response from the sleeping. Oh, what do I mean by that? No, I don't mean spiritually sleep. No, no. I mean dead. Literally, 
quite literally. Jump down to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 55. And I want to read this passage of Scripture because we need to understand there is a great implication of all of this that is for all of eternity. Listen to what the Bible says. Paul writes and he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, listen to this, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will become true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? (coughs) Notice. What will happen to those who have died in Christ? The Bible says that we will be changed. Literally made different. Perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. We understand what perishable means. It means it's not going to last forever. We look at us and we realize we're not lasting forever. We understand that this physical body, these bodies in their current condition are not made to live forever. The mortal must put on immortality, not only for those who die in Christ, but we will all be changed when Jesus returns. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4 through 16 through 17. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have died in Christ get first dibs of going up. They're going first. And then the Bible says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Say, you know what, Pastor? I still don't believe it. All I can say is the Holy Spirit's going to have to get you. And he has a way of doing that. He has a way of convincing you that this life is not all there is. That the most important thing that you could ever have as you face that moment of death. And by the way, for anybody who thinks they know when that's going to be, trust me, you don't know. You don't know anything. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what particular thing may come your way. And therefore, my advice to you is simple. Be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready. Don't somehow say, you know what, I'll work it out later. Trust me, there may not be time to work anything out. You be ready when that moment comes. We have the hope of a resurrection of the dead because... He is alive. John chapter 11. The Bible says this in verse 25 and 26. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. Get that for a second. The one who believes, the belief has to come first. If you believe in him, you will live even though 
you die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus says this. Do you believe this? I don't have time to read the rest of it, but basically she said, well, yeah, I believe that that's going to happen at the, at the end. Oh, no, Jesus was standing at the tomb on that particular day, and he was the resurrection and the life. I want you to know that today is the day of salvation. Now is the moment that you must believe. Jesus is not talking about some futuristic thing. He's talking about right now. Do you believe this? Not tomorrow. Not some other day when it's convenient for you. Not when all of a sudden life falls apart and you don't have anybody else to depend on. No, do it now. Don't wait on this. Don't wait for a second at that moment. I want to tell you, look, we have the hope of the resurrection. It demands a response from every individual in this place. So here's the thing. Death is still at work. In fact, Paul says this. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 26, I mentioned this earlier. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. But I want to tell you, death will be swallowed up in victory one day. How many people in this building have had to stand in front of a casket of a family member that you saw go? Maybe go sooner than you had hoped. It doesn't matter how old, you know, I had the number of years ago, 16 years ago, my father passed away. And, you know, dad suffered for a long time, but nothing prepared me for my father leaving. Nothing could prepare me for that. Nothing could prepare me for the moment of having to say goodbye to my brother. All of a sudden, things changed for him physically. Many of you, I want to thank you, many of you prayed you prayed your hearts out. People were praying all over the place. But you know, the bottom line is, is in it all, God has the final say. And we trust in a God who knows what he's doing. I realize there are questions, and many people might, might look, and you might say, I don't understand, and I don't understand. Look, you can, you can knock yourself out to, to, to the point of not understanding anything by simply repeating that over and over again. But I want to tell you that today the one thing that I do understand is there is a resurrection. And yes, we have to deal with death right now, but there is going to come a time where death will be no more. Death will be no more because Jesus was the first fruit. He was the one to first come out of the tomb and out of the grave. And because he was raised to life, you and I can have hope everlasting and hope eternal. So listen, don't give up living for him. Don't give up working for him because the resurrection gives hope to all who come to him in faith. As Paul says, here's how we should live in our daily lives because of the great fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to this one final scripture. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, the very last verse in this chapter. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why is it not in vain? Because there is a resurrection. 
Why should we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord? Because there is a resurrection. Why should we do our very best to serve him? Because there is a resurrection. Listen, if it didn't exist, don't bother. But through all these centuries of time, people have tried to discredit the resurrection, and they can't do it. It's impossible. In fact, there is a, a wonderful book that I was introduced to many years ago. It's been updated and revised by Josh McDowell called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Josh McDowell was in college, and he was an atheist, self-proclaimed atheist. And he proclaimed that, you know, he always saw, he said, you know, in telling his, his testimony, he always saw these Christians. It seemed like they were, like, happy. You know, just, just those annoying people, you know. And he, and he did. He, he actually, I think he actually referred to them as sort of annoying because, because they were so happy. And he tried to stump them, and he tried to, and he just couldn't do it. And he said, you know what, I'm going to investigate this thing for myself, and I am going to do, and he, the guy's a brain. He uses more of his brain than I probably will ever use in my lifetime. But the, the bottom line is he, he researched and researched only to come to Christ right in the middle of his research, realizing this thing is absolutely true. It's based on fact. It's based on history. And it rises and falls on one event, the resurrection. We're here today because of the resurrection. We are in this building today because the resurrection is real. Because Jesus came out of the tomb. Why? As the angels said, I read it at the beginning of the, the, the message or the beginning of the uh, service today. Why do you look for the living among the dead? That right there is a loaded question. It's loaded for so many reasons because many of us are out there looking for the living among the dead ways of the world. We're looking for life in things that do not supply. Oh, does it supply fun? Sure, for the moment. But guess what? Fun isn't living. Living, my friends, is knowing where you're going to be tomorrow if you all of a sudden today breathe your last. That is living. I want to tell you, knowing without any doubt in your mind, I remember, and I'll close with this story, when I was 17 years old, it was the summer of 1984. I had just, we had just, our school had experienced a state championship in basketball, state championship in baseball, and I was part of those two teams. I was flying high. I was so happy. People in our small town were just ecstatic. My youth leader, Dwayne Hersey, was just, he, he was there, and, and with my oldest brother, uh, who just passed away, my oldest brother, both of them were tag teaming in the youth ministry. The youth ministry was growing. It was just, we looked to both my brother and to Dwayne as, as our leaders. And, and we, you know, we kind of put them up on a little bit of a pedestal in some sense, not in a negative way, but we, we looked up to them as our leaders. And July 4th, 1984, little did I know it, that Dwayne would get on a motorcycle that he was not, experienced on didn't really know how to ride it and we'll go around a corner a blind corner trees that you couldn't see around the corner to see what was coming he ended up on the other side of the road hit a car head-on and Dwayne that day at 33 years old 
lost his life. My youth leader. But you know, here's the thing. All these memories came flooding back and as I talked to his sister recently after seeing them up in Maine, I, I repeated this back to her, told her about this. I said, I remember that Sunday morning. Dwayne saying in our youth Sunday school class, he said, I know that if Jesus were to come back today or if I were to die today, I would go to be with Jesus. I want to tell you that's certainty. Many of us, we live our lives with complete and total uncertainty as it relates to our faith. We have allowed certain problems and situations to rock our world to the point where we have begun to doubt God. But I want to tell you that man, that particular day, he died knowing where he was going to go. He was absolutely certain that he would see his Savior. And I want to tell you that because of the resurrection, you can be absolutely sure. Can we stand to our feet right now? Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. I want us just to give thanks and glory to God for the certainty that we can have in him. The certainty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The certainty of the hope that we can have in him. And you might say, well, you know what, Pastor, I can't do that yet. I want to tell you this moment was made for you. This moment was made for your life. I'm not going to let this service end today without giving a, an, an opportunity for you to somehow take this moment and say, I need to give Jesus my all. And by all, I don't mean living perfectly. I just mean you are going to live for him every single day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. Come on, saints, just worship the Lord right now. Let's just pray right now. God is speaking to someone today. God is speaking to hearts today. Hallelujah to you, Lord Jesus. We magnify your name, O oh God. We magnify you, Jesus. Glory to the name of Almighty God. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We thank you for the hope that we have in the resurrection. We thank you that you came out of the tomb, and because of that, we can have a hope and a future. We thank you, Lord Jesus that we not only have hope in this life, but we have hope for a future life with you, an eternal life with you. In the mighty name of Jesus, with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place today. I wonder if there's anybody here today who knows in your heart that you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you have been just kind of messing around with the world. You've been doing your own thing. You've said, you know what, it's not convenient for me yet to serve God. I want to tell you that it's not about convenience. It's about your eternal destiny. Many of us look to what our destiny will be in this life, and we have great hopes and aspirations, but we prepare so little for what is yet to come. For that moment in which we breathe our last, for that moment in which Jesus could come back for us, and you would be left. Today, I, I don't want that to happen. I don't want anybody to leave this building today not knowing Jesus Christ. I don't want anybody leaving this place today saying, you know what, Pastor, I'm just going to give it another, I'm going to give it another couple of years. You know, I just, there's a lot of things that I just want to try out there. A lot of things that I want to do, but I, I just, 
I want to tell you today, there's no, you don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know. You don't know what you will meet tomorrow. You don't know what is going on in your life the next two days, the next five days, the next week. You don't know. None of us know. But today you can know with every, every ounce of your being that if something were to happen to you, that you would be with Jesus. I want to tell you today, don't wait one second. You give your life to him. And if that's you, just put up your hand and then take it down. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. You, you don't, don't wait on anything. Say, you know what, Pastor? There's so many things i got to do. That's right. Do it with Jesus. Let him be your guide. Let him, let him be the one to f- just walk with you and give you the power that you need to, to, to walk you through that situation. But today, sin has gotten its best of you. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus died for your sins, but he was raised for your justification. You don't have to live under the weight of sin, but instead you can live for him. You need Jesus today. We're going to pray right now. I want everybody in this building including those who lifted their hands to take a moment to pray. And we're going to believe God if you are here and you know you need Jesus, then I want you to pray this prayer with me. And let's believe God for your eternal destiny to be sealed today by the power of the Holy Spirit for you to live a life that honors him and pleases him every single day. Everybody just pray along with me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross. You died for my sins. It was my sins that put you there. And I thank you for that. That you died in my place. I repent of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to live inside of me. And help me to live for you. Dear Jesus, I confess my absolute need of you. And I ask you to help me to live in the light of eternity. Knowing that you came out of the tomb. So that I could live to please you. And not myself. I repent of my sins. Forgive me, Jesus. And help me to live my life to honor you. Every single day, let me depend on you. And help me to live in a way that pleases you. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again for me. To give me everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's thank God today. Let's thank God today. Glory to the name of Jesus. Glory to the name of Jesus. Glory to your name, oh God. Let's give him praise and thanksgiving. Let's thank him for the resurrection. Let's thank him. He is not a dead God. He is a risen Savior. He is alive and well. He is alive today to give you help, to give you hope to give you a a hope and a future. 
Hallelujah to you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. We magnify your name, O God. We magnify your name, O God. We glorify you, Jesus. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah to you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Glory to the name of Jesus. Glory to the name of Jesus. We magnify your name. We magnify your name. Listen, those who raise your hands, you need to now get into the word of God. Get yourself back into church. Get yourself into the presence of God and get yourself around other believers. And make sure that you can take time each and every day just to read. Start reading in the, in the Gospels. Start reading in the New Testament. No, people have lofty ideas. Well, let me start in Genesis. Trust me, it'll wipe you out before you ever. There's a purpose for Genesis. There's a reason for it. You're going to get there, but get into the New Testament. Find out about the grace of God that teaches us, as Paul said to Titus, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. I want to tell you that is the grace of God. It's not, it's not rules and regulations. It's grace that helps you to do that. So get into the word of God, get into the presence of God, and let's believe God that he is going to help you to grow in a way that pleases and honors him. Amen? Amen. Happy Resurrection Sunday to you. I want to just say this. I want to thank uh, so many in this church. Certainly was not expecting it at all. Uh, So many who had given something to help us on our way as we went to Maine to uh, be at my brother's funeral. And so I am I'm grateful to all of you. Please know that we're from the bottom of our hearts. We thank you for that. Thank you for all the prayers. Continue to pray for our family, but especially my sister-in-law and uh, their two kids. <coughs> God <coughs> has a plan, and we don't always understand it, but the Lord knows. So we thank God. I thank God. I trust in the resurrection. And also, also, before we leave, we're, we're going to greet one another in just a minute. You can hug each other's necks, all right? Um, but Sherry brought some goodies for the kids. Now, I don't know what, you know, qualifies as a kid. I feel very kid-like from time to time. But I would say my age kind of keeps me out of that, that particular category. So, you know, if they look like a kid, they're probably a kid. All right? So just I would just leave that for the kids, and then we'll see what happens afterwards. All right? So that's at the end. And also... You notice we didn't take an offering. We haven't been doing that for a long time. Uh, you can certainly, those who are familiar with the church, you can give online. You can do that. Uh, for those who, you know, you came with an offering. Patricia has an offering bag. She, you can drop that in there uh, with her after the service. But uh, that, that, is, that is the best we can do right now. I want us just to turn to one another, greet one another in the love of the Lord. Happy Resurrection Day to all of you. God bless you.